Welcome to the Women's Pelvic Pain Podcast, your ultimate source of uncensored information on women's pelvic health. In this podcast, you will hear from health practitioners, holistic healers, nutrition experts, and fitness gurus, in addition to people who have or had suffered from chronic pelvic pain in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about pelvic floor disorders. I'm here to share with you what I've learned in my seven and counting years of personal experience with chronic pelvic pain. Approximately one-third of women suffer from pelvic pain. It's an unspoken epidemic. So many of us have it, yet no one talks about it. However, the mission of this podcast is to break the pelvic pain silence. The conversations are intimate, raw, and completely unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible. With education, patience, and the proper tools and techniques, pelvic pain can be overcome. Welcome back to the Women's Pelvic Pain Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Matluck. I'm a holistic health and wellness coach, and I also suffer from chronic pelvic pain, which I've had for the majority of my life. Pelvic pain is such a complex topic, which is really why I wanted to start this podcast. I was determined to simplify the topic and make it one that is understandable, accessible, and hopefully a bit interesting. The goal of this podcast is to really help make sense of what pelvic pain is fundamentally and to provide advice, insight, and comfort to those who suffer from it. So today's episode is a very exciting one. We have our first doctor on the podcast, Dr. Tayaba Ahmed. Dr. Ahmed is a doctor of physical medicine and rehabilitation. She was born and raised in New York and is an osteopathic physician who is board certified in physical medicine and rehabilitation. Dr. Ahmed is a contributing author to a textbook which is considered a staple during every physiatrist's training. The fourth edition is currently in press and scheduled to be published in the spring of 2019. It's called Pelvic Pain, Essentials of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. She is also a collaborator in the Rose Study, along with Pelvic Rehabilitation Medicine and Feinstein Institute for Medical Research at Northwell Health. So with that, thank you so much for being here today. I can't wait to talk more about your career and your practice and your knowledge on pelvic pain, and most importantly, to be able to share all of this incredible information with our listeners. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm a pelvic pain specialist at Pelvic Rehabilitation Medicine. I went to medical school at New York College of Osteopathic Medicine, and that makes me an osteopathic physician. So because of that, I have a more holistic approach to my patients. Um, I did my internship at Northwell Health Plainview Hospital and then went on to NYU Medical um, Langone at Rusk Institute for Rehabilitation, where I met my awesome colleagues, Allison Tricande and Charity Hill. So the first question that I have for you today, um, which is really what what I ask everyone who works in the field of pelvic pain, is how did you enter into this career and when did you decide that this was the area of medicine that you wanted to focus on? Um, so me and my colleagues, we often discuss how during residency and rehabilitation, we got to focus on musculoskeletal, the sports and spine, um, and traumatic brain injuries and spinal cord injuries, but we really didn't learn much about the pelvis. Um, and then we kind of both went on, we all went on our separate ways. Um, and Allison had, you know, had started delving into women's health and she brought us in and kind of asked us if we would be interested in doing a more like approach going directly at the pelvis. Um, I had some personal experience after my childbirths with both my kids and so did she as well. Um, and Dr. Hill has endometriosis. So we kind of all had this common issues with our pelvic pain, um, and then that's why we thought it would be great to leave our, our, our jobs and do something that was just kind of focused on the pelvis. And um, we started with a lot of women, and now we have a lot of men. So we have about 60% female, 40% male. Um, and within that 60% of female, we see a, a good amount, maybe 60% endometriosis. So can you break down for us, what exactly is it that you do in your practice and what is it that really differentiates your practice from other pelvic pain specialists? So I mean, when a patient's coming to see you, where do you start with them and what is the direction that you steer them in? 
So the first thing that most people don't know about us is what, what we specialize in. So sometimes I'll have like a patient randomly say, what exactly did you specialize in? So we are a physical medicine and rehabilitation doctor. So what does that mean? You know, people are always like, so you're not a, a GYN, you're not a urologist, because most pelvic pain specialists are GYNs or right. urologists. So usually they've already gone to either a uro or a GYN or even maybe a GI, maybe a urogyne, which is a combination of both uro and gyne. Um, but not a lot have ever been to a, a, a physical medicine rehabilitation doctor. So what is that? Basically, we were trained to do, we were like sports medicine doctors. We were treating, um, you know, elbows and ankles and knees and joints and muscles and nerves and all, the whole body. So we don't really have an organ where we don't have an ovary or a uterus or um, you know, a bladder or a, a GI, but that's what kind of makes us different because since we don't have an organ, we can kind of look back and be like, hey guys, those muscles underneath your organs are causing your problem. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of people, like if you had a, a neck, you know, pain, you would address it. You would try to get like some therapy for it or a massage for it. But, you know, if your wrist was hurting, you would go and get you know, a carpal tunnel brace, um, but nobody can see our muscles of the pelvis. So n- unless you're a pelvic physical therapist, you really don't even necessarily know how to examine it. So that's how we're different. Um, there's very few pelvic physiatrists in New York, let alone the entire country. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say there's probably only five of us in New York City. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we are, a, a, you know, very much in need and it's a very small niche and um, I think you know it's really important that if a patient is kind of frustrated and not understanding or getting the answers from the GYN or a urologist or um, to try to see if they can find someone who can kind of look at the full picture mm-hmm. and step back and see you know is it your hip is it your hernia or is it you know is there some issue going on that you know happen you know you're up with your muscles or um, or, or just even like thinking about, you know, your past. Did you have any trauma in, in your life? Was there any unwanted sexual contact? Was there possibly a history of a fall on your tailbone that could have potentially contributed to this? Um, I sometimes see a lot of young women who, who do spinning and, you know, um, they're like, well, when I spin, you know, it hurts and, and then it hurts when I sit. And so like, you know, sometimes you just need someone to tell you, well, Right. Spinning is affecting those muscles and your tailbone's possibly getting shifted and, and you know, kind of putting it together. Mm-hmm. So when a patient comes in, we spent about an hour and a half with each patient and we're doing exactly this. Like I listen, I'm just going to hear what they have to say. Um, so we break it into like four portions or that's how I do it. The first one is always just asking a little bit about their history. Um, what doctors have they seen? You know, kind of give me like a, a step-by-step what... Who have you seen? What have you tried? What medications have you tried? When do you have the pain? Tell me, like, you know, anything I, I need to know about the pain. And then sometimes, uh, you know, they don't think it's an issue, but I'm like, no, tell me about your bowels. Tell me about your bladder. Tell me about um, any anxiety, any depression, anything that, you know, could be contributing. Do you have trouble sleeping? Is the pain? How's your periods? So, you know, we're going on and on for about an, uh, an hour. But after they talk, I then examine them. Mm-hmm. Then I, you know, I do a full body approach. So I'm not a GYN. So my exam has nothing to do with the pap smear. I'm not getting their blood. I'm not checking hormones. I'm looking at at like from a physiatrist, a sports medicine doctor, because that's what I am. I check their back and make sure that their issues are not back related. I check their hips. Um, I check their pubic bone, I check their muscles, their nerves that could be be inflamed or irritated. How do you check muscles and nerves? I do a lot of point tenderness exam and you know I know where the based on the landmarks where what nerves are inflamed where Mm -hmm. and then I go internally I do check to see if there's any vulva, like you know, any irritation internally. If there's any redness or erythema, um, if I can see a prolapse, I'll try to ch- to look for one. Um, I'll check their muscles during an internal exam, um, and then, you know, I'll you know I might do some depending on the patient, some muscle strength testing in their legs or. Um, 
and then uh, I'll check their abdomen, see if there's anything that could be potentially a hernia. And then after that, we do a little bit of a um, education portion. So I show them a big diagram, try to explain to them where the pelvic pelvic floor is. I show them the model. Um, I Everywhere that they have pain during the exam, I kind of explain to them where that is on the model so that they can see where it's coming from. And then um, we talk about nerves and we talk about chronic pain and how the chronic pain cycle happens and what, what is affected and what central sensitization is and um, how the nerves cause issues. And so we talk about nerves, we talk about muscles, and then we move on to the treatment plan. So um, I know, and sometimes a lot of patients are like, let's just go straight to the treatment plan, treatment plan. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, let's let's just go in stepwise manner so you understand it. And, you know, otherwise, if you have someone just telling you like, okay, well, try this med, and you don't know why you need that med, right. you're just going to feel confused. And you're, you're, you might also feel like, why is this doctor just giving me meds? Mm. So I want it to make sense. I want everything to be like a whole stepwise pattern. And at the end of the day, it's your body. So you have to be able to understand it and know what's going in it and what um, you are comfortable with. If you want to do some, if I want you to take, you know, a Valium suppository rectally and you don't know why, you're just going to be really turned off. Like that sounds terrible. Like why would you want to do that? And if you understand on a model, like this is where the muscles are that are really tight, and this is the way, you know, the best way to access it is through a suppository rectally or vaginally, you know, whatever, depending on the person, mm-hmm. um, then it makes sense. And then, uh, you know, I to explain like how to use the medication and how not to, we don't want to abuse anything, and we want to make sure, like we are a non-opioid practice, so we want people, you know to feel comfortable and our pain sucks so you know if sometimes people want to do things very holistically and they want to do um like you know plant-based things so we are very pro turmeric and pro arnica things that are not necessarily like an allopathic medication Mm -hmm. we are physicians so we will use like steroids the first time we do an injection if we need to but we can also do plant-based injections like arnica or spascupril Mm-hmm. Um, some patients, we talk to them about cognitive behavioral therapy. Sometimes we talk, we require that all of our patients do yoga, um, and we require that all of our patients do some meditation, because we really want to focus on the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. So the the central nervous systems like the brain and the spinal cord, and the peripheral nervous system is basically what's going on at the pelvis. So even though the problem is with the pelvis, we also have to understand that. If you're in a chronic pain cycle, it will typically involve your central nervous system as well. And addressing both makes the problem better. Um, if we just address one and we only do physical therapy, which is going to help the pelvic, you know, the, the peripheral nervous system, it's not necessarily going to treat it 100%. And that's mm-hmm. why sometimes patients plateau with pelvic physical therapy. Yeah. Um, that I think that's like partially my case as well yeah. is that the nervous system I feel like is related to the pain cycle on every level yeah and a lot of patients don't want to address that component of it yeah and that's the thing like if you have so with central sensitization what is that okay so let's say you bang your knee mm-hmm. and you hit a table and this was like before your chronic pain so you hit it you know your all your body responds with a certain response you might get a bruise and usually it's okay now let's say you have central sensitization you're you've been in pain for six months Mm -hmm. and so now you you bang your your knee your body's like oh this lady's like super sensitized i'm gonna make it seem like she was run over by a truck and that's how it feels now just because you have this sensitization your entire body is just super ramped up yeah it's like a, it's like the volume's on super high like Alexa put it on 10 and we need to bring it down to like a 2 because it is so ramped up and everything hurts like now you've got to get your tooth pulled and you feel like your body's going to explode and right. every little thing makes you super super amped up and that's how our job well it's way tougher we mm-hmm. love it when patients come and they've only had pelvic pain for like a couple of months or years um, but it you know when, when patients have the longer the heart, the longer you've had it, the harder it is to treat. So yeah. it's really important people get treated sooner, not because 
we want them to like come and you know we want we want to make it go away mm-hmm. and it, it's way easier when it's been going on less time yeah and i feel like pelvic pain is an area of pain that people tend to let uh, go on way longer than like any other sort of pain. I feel like, as you said, if you hurt your ankle or something, like right when you hurt it, you're gonna go to a doctor like that day or why, that why week. Why do you think that is? I don't know, but pelvic pain. It's I don't. I think maybe people don't feel comfortable talking about it. People don't know. It's like if you hurt your foot or your ankle, you could. It's so easy to Google like a doctor for that, or you know, some. I'm sure you could find someone who. Yeah easily could help you with that but it's like you have pelvic pain what where you begin like where would you even so we hope you know what i mean like people to find us like on on google and stuff like i did i think i did find you on google like a long time ago oh yeah like we've been trying really hard like um actually every time a patient sees us and they tell us like a long-winded history of like all the doctors they went to and like we write down all the names mm-hmm. and we actually have hired someone to go out and actually educate those doctors about what we do not because we don't think that they know what we do well well that because they don't know what we do mm-hmm. and and not a lot of people like i mean i would i went to medical school and half of like the people i graduated with i mean they i would hope no but like a lot of people still confuse us with like physical therapy mm-hmm. they like oh you're a physiatry oh you're a psychiatry or you're a podiatry right. like like literally they just they don't, know. don't they have no idea and then they're like but how are you treating pelvic pain you're a physiatrist like this makes no sense mm-hmm. and so you know everyone kind of yeah i get it so it's like super not easy to find us but we are trying to like not just you know see more patients we want to make a difference mm-hmm. we want doctors to understand like if you don't know what you're like what to do with this patient who has like painful periods and chronically constipated and you think she might have endo like don't like don't just do nothing yeah like get them to like the person they need to get to Mm -hmm. because like that many years to have something so much pain is just not fair no so we really want like people to like have an option i think also the thing that's weird and kind of confusing about pelvic pain like I'll take my case for example if for so long I was like oh my I have burning and itching I didn't know that that was pelvic pain do you know what I mean so it's hard to like bridge the two areas of like I thought it was like an infection or I thought I need to see a gynecologist like a dermatologist right like I didn't know that this was my pelvic floor muscles like I had no idea for so long so I feel like that must be the case with so many people that they're like, oh, I, or even if you're constipated or you have painful periods or you have any sort of like vaginal pain or rectal pain, I, I don't think that the first thing people do is make the association between their that pain or those issues and their pelvic floor because no. the average person doesn't even know what their pelvic floor is. You know, I didn't 100%. know what my pelvic floor was until all yeah. of this started happening in my life. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. We actually... When we first started, we would reach out to GYNs mm-hmm. because that's where most of our referrals came from. But, like, as we would, I, I mean, literally, I'd go to a barbecue and I'd meet, like, a, a dermatologist, and he's like, Are you treat pelvic pain? Like, and I was like, Yeah, some rectal itching, rectal burning. And they were like, I have patience for you mm-hmm. because dermatologists see that. Right. You know, so it's like every, and like sometimes a neurologist will send us a patient. Oh, you have pudendal, do you see pudendal neuralgia, like pain with like sitting on a bike or something? Mm-hmm. So like the more and more like people talk about it, exactly. the more and more people know, but that's the problem. Not a lot of people want to talk about like their, you know, testicular, yeah. you know, pain or, yeah. and I mean, it's something that eventually we'll all get on board to do, but mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for now, we're, like, just trying to, like, put some buzzwords on our yeah. website so hopefully patients can find us. Yeah. Um, and, you know, know that there is, like, someone that knows what we do. Mm-hmm. But we're trying. When do most of your patients get, like, when in their journey are they referred to you um, typically and by who? Well, I guess you said that there's, like, a wide range of doctors who refer yeah. patients to you. but at what point do you usually see patients? So sometimes, you know, they'll come and they'll be like, I went to one urologist and it's like really early in. That's like very rare. Right. Sometimes it's like I've been, I've had, you know, I've seen three GYNs, four urologists, and 
it's you know I went to urine urine and I had a surgery and I had a repair and my pedantal nerve entrapped and and you know that's not as often as I would you know maybe I'll have like a, maybe in the month a few that are like really tw- have it have had it for like 10 15 years and had surgeries and stuff try to repair mm-hmm. it because back in the day like 10 15 years ago obviously we weren't around um and like the stuff that we do wasn't around so there was like no one doing it right so the only options for them was surgery mm-hmm. um but i see a lot more of the in-betweens where they're like five to six years on average mm-hmm. or three to four years so i see a lot of like three to four years or five to six years for females because of endometriosis and that's a, like a little bit like we can get them better before they need surgery we can do you know they actually do get better there is a lot of like we help one issue where we help the pelvic pain and then sometimes it's like well you help the pelvic pain but then they have a little bit of hip left and then we do a lot of referrals Mm -hmm. so we do get a lot of patients in but we do send a lot of patients out too because Mm -hmm. we are not hip doctors we're not hernia surgeons right we don't do gyn hormones or endosurgery so we do but we know all the people who understand the relationship between the hip and the pelvic floor mm-hmm. and the, the hernias and the pelvic floor because not every hernia doctor understands the relationship. Right. So you might tell your hernia doctor like, hey, you know, I have some pain with sex and he's going to look at you like, mm, I don't really care. Yeah. And if he understood the relationship, then he would say, oh, you know what? Let's treat your pelvic floor simultaneously and then we'll do your repair. Mm-hmm. And that's how we work where we're like, oh, well, we, this is your issue. Let's treat your pelvic floor. Let's get you at a nice baseline. Calm your central nervous system so that before you go into surgery, you don't flare from the surgery. Right. So we work with a lot of surgeons that way, endosurgeons and um, you know a few hernia surgeons and um, lab- uh, orthopedic surgeons for hips, and they kind of understand everything, and we, we basically calm the patient down so that when they come out of the surgery, they're not like even more pissed because yeah. they're in more pain. Um, and so can you kind of give an example of what, I mean, I know it would differ obviously from patient to patient, but like, what does a typical treatment plan look like that you would give, let's say someone who comes in with pelvic pain? And I know that's probably such a tough question to answer, but what are like a few base things that you recommend or that you do for your patients? So... Um, well, basically, every single patient I see, mm-hmm. I refer to pelvic PT mm-hmm. because whether they've had it or not, the pelvic physical therapist, if trained well, knows how to manipulate internally. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always the first thing that we always talk about. Um, we try to refer to someone that they would feel comfortable with and mesh well with and try to find some a location that's close to their home and so that they can't say oh i was too busy i was that right. it was like too far from work or whatever like i i need you to be able to go once a week at least i mean we're in new york we are so blessed to have so many pelvic pts everywhere mm-hmm. i mean i can literally probably tell you like five just in like a five block radius yeah. like so there's no excuse not to now after pelvic pt um i would see if i need to refer out like if if I'm thinking in the back of my mind, maybe endo, um, I'm I might say you know have you ever heard of something? But I'm not I'm not can't diagnose it. Mm-hmm. Typically, the gold standard diagnosis is with laparoscopic surgery. Mm-hmm. Now, can an endo specialist kind of get an idea whether you have endo just based on a conversation, like answering certain questions? Yes. Mm-hmm. So can I? I mean, if a if a woman has painful periods chronically constipated feels like she has what's classically called the endo belly where she wakes up and she's got like a uh, a belly like she's eight months pregnant um she's got pain with sex um she's got you know urinary frequency or urgency or symptoms that might sound like interstitial cystitis um or she's just got rectal pain and feels like she's sitting on a golf ball chances are she probably has endo Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you're, you might hear endo does have like these random like might shortness of breath, like pneumothoraxes, that kind of stuff. That's very rare, but that's like the classic endo. You know, right. 
bloated, constipated, and a lot of women go years thinking they have IBS, mm-hmm. and then they find out that they have endo because they're trying to get pregnant, and now they're infertile because their ovaries have endo on it, or and so they can't get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's the really tough part about endo is that you know it can affect your fertility, and knowing sooner is super important. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I feel like this would be a good time to talk about the endometriosis study, but I, agree. I if you, we will definitely get back to the rest of the treatment plan. Okay, cool. Um, a study that we are doing. Um, Wait, can I interrupt for one mm-hmm. second? Most people who have endometriosis have pelvic pain as well. Yeah. yeah. So the reason endometriosis women have pelvic pain is well, think about it. what's endometriosis. Endometriosis is having the tissue that's supposed to be inside of the uterus, not in the uterus. So mm-hmm. it's outside of the uterus. So it's mm-hmm. sitting where um, it could be on the belt, on the bladder wall, on the it could be on the bladder, it could be on the uter- on the colon, um, your bowels. It can be on your pelvic floor. It can be on your pelvic walls, like in the cavity. It can actually get up to the lungs. Mm-hmm. Like that's how terrible the endometriosis is. It can act like a benign cancer, where it's not going to kill you. It's going to cause a lot of pain. But it can migrate up to the lungs like it's cancer. Mm-hmm. It's like the scariest thing ever. And you can't necessarily diagnose it because unless you're an endometriosis specialist, it can look a hundred different ways. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not looking at endometriosis all day, every day, and you're just like a regular GYN who kind of like does pap smears and delivers babies, like you're not used to that, right? So right. you're going to open up the patient. You're going to say, oh, well, this looks like regular tissue, but it, you might just leave it alone. And then the endo's still sitting in there. Mm-hmm. So, and then a lot of endometriosis specialists, quote specialists, um, they ablate, they, which is ablating is basically just like burning off the top of endo, endometriosis. So um, that's not going to help. So if you think of it like a mold, if you just burn the top of the mold, is there still mold there? Yeah. Still on the bottom. And it regrows. Yeah, it just regrows. Right. So you have to excise it and cut it out mm-hmm. like it's cancer, like mm-hmm. you would do for cancer, right? Um, so that's the difference between an endometriosis specialist. So if you have any question about whether your doctor is an endo specialist or not, you ask them, do you excise or do you ablate or slash cauterize, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but do not burn it because that's just going to, you're just going to need another surgery. Mm-hmm. And then the more surgeries you have, the greater chances of getting adhesions and more pain just from the adhesions. Right. And so that's, that's the problem. But back to the ROSE study. (laughs) Our office, Pelvic Rehabilitation Medicine, is Mm. taking part in this amazing study called the ROSE study. Research outstands endometriosis, R-O-S-E. We are collaborating with Northwell, um, the Feinstein Institute, to make this blood test to diagnose women with endometriosis with a sample of their menstrual flow. It's amazing. I mean, it's going to change the way we diagnose endo and the goal is instead of taking seven to ten years to diagnose a woman with endo we potentially diagnose them with their first period i mean beyond that's Mm going to be like life-changing for like girls i mean i literally just had someone message me on instagram from who's 10 years old and said that you know within her second period she is on the floor crying in pain can't go to school is in the er every month for two months and this is only her second period, and and I was like, I'm almost 100 percent sure she has endo just by li- just by hearing that. Right. And she's in the UK now. If we had this test, we could. Well, the th- the whole other issue is like having access to mm-hmm. endometriosis excision specialists. Yeah. But that's another conversation. Um, but this Rose study can really change people's lives, and it really. Um, needs to get out and Mm -hmm. the study has has been around for a few years but we have not been able to complete it because we do not have participants right and the more participants and the sooner we get it the sooner we can get this test out so we are really we have joined with them at northwell and really trying to push this um, because we love research where we are and every single one of our patients um does fills out some a functional pelvic health assessment test like before they see us Mm -hmm. the first time the goal is um, is for 
so that we can research and and using our protocol when our patients get better we can create some more research mm -hmm. because right now the research out there for pelvic pain is like dismal there's nothing right i mean it's basically comparing pelvic pain to, to fibromyalgia and it has like it's similar but it's not fibromyalgia yeah. so we are like desperately trying to create research and we are all part of the international pelvic pain society and um, every few months we're trying to submit something to the IPPS. We are recently submitted to the Incontinence Society and we were, you know, they'll, we were accepted to talk about it in August in Philadelphia. So we're excited that our protocol is like starting to make a difference and people are starting to understand what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so for anyone listening, if they wanted to be a volunteer, how do they go about doing that? So if they wanted to be part of the the um the row study all they would have to do is contact um margaret at 516-562-3636 so 516-562-3636 or email rose at northwell.edu to contact margaret just let her know that you heard about um uh, the row study through pelvic rehabilitation medicine and or my name dr ahmed and then if you qualify you can get fifty dollars um, for being part of the study and for more information on the study you can check out my post i recently posted on my instagram at dr ty ahmed um, but i do walk through the entire process of you know calling getting talking to margaret getting qualified for the test for the for the um, study the next part is basically doing a consent which takes like a few minutes on email and then after that you fill while you're filling that out you also fill out a questionnaire you go into your entire history and everything about your periods and what medications you took and all that and then margaret will send you a box so if you're on birth control and you're not able to get your period you're not because of that don't fear you can still do a saliva swab um, and or peripheral blood if you live in New York. So we really want everyone to have a chance to be a part of this study because you this is your chance to tell your story. Mm -hmm. And this could really like make a huge impact on so many people who yeah. are unable to to you know come get the right diagnosis for their problems. Yeah, I mean, so many people. There's so many studies out about endometriosis right now, which is kind of amazing. But I think there are very few studies that have like nothing to do with mm -hmm. a pharmaceutical medication that's on trial. Mm -hmm. Like this is not a trial medication. This is just a blood test. Um, and we're, we're pretty confident in it that it works. Right. So we just need numbers now mm -hmm. and more samples. The more and more samples that we can like say, yep, this is definitely an endo or nope, this is not an endo. Right. Then you kind of go into like the other, um, into like the, the control study. Mm -hmm. So the more we have, the sooner we can get this out. And I just want to make it very clear that right now, the only way to test for endometriosis, as we talked about before we started um, podcasting, but the only way to test is through surgery. So if this um, was able to really come to life, basically you would be able to take your sample period blood, send it in, and be diagnosed or not diagnosed with endometriosis. So if you were able to do that and not have to go through surgery in order to be diagnosed, that's really, really revolutionary. Yeah. It, really it's cool. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, and so, I'm doing it uh, myself. Yeah, so I said I would sign up to do it. Yeah, and you should definitely yeah. sign up because it just, it's just really cool. I know. Yeah, the more the more people who who um, sign up, the better. Yeah, um, and you're also helping with a great cause, so yeah, why not? Um, and chances are, endometriosis is one in every ten women. So mm -hmm. chances are, you know someone with it. Yeah. And just talking to this to like people about it, like I found out my aunt had it, and that's like yeah. really crazy. You have a cousin who has it, so mm -hmm. like, there's not Everyone a single woman someone. in this world who does not know someone with endometriosis. Yeah. Like, just literally ask. I know. And that's the thing that people don't talk about it, but you know, if you see someone saying, "Oh, yeah, I have really painful periods." ask which mm -hmm. is a good chance that they don't know what endometriosis is mm -hmm. and they they're like they need help right when people like are really in pain they need help right um 
okay, now if we go back to the treatment plan. Okay. <laughs> um, so physical therapy. Physical therapy, I try to get them to a referral. I, I might order imaging, depending. Um, so we do have access to a really cool study called MR neurography. Mm-hmm. Um, that's basically an MRI of the nerves of your pelvis. So not a lot of places do it. So mm-hmm. in New York City, we're really lucky where we can do this and see all the nerves of your pelvis and see what's entrapped or what's lighting up as maybe possibly being squeezed. Um, and so we can get a picture like of what's going on in their pelvis. We can also see their hips and kind of look at their look for a hernia too. And then if, if there's got low back stuff, we might order a lumbar spine. Um, right. And so imaging is important. And that's also when a patient doesn't necessarily have a doctor and they're just getting PT, that's a little limited. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see the nerve imaging is it through an MRI or uh-huh. yeah so it's an MRI neurography wow that's so, really and you do that here no no we do that and we send it out you send that out right yeah right. and so that's why it's and there's only like a few places in New York that actually read those that. images uh-huh. yeah that's cool um, we talk about medications it's up to the patient we mm-hmm. talk about vitamins magnesium melatonin um, thallium suppositories mm-hmm. whether vaginally or rectally which help a lot um, we talk to patients about SNRIs, which are... Let's ser- talk about that for a minute. Yeah, so SNRIs mm-hmm. work for pain. Right. SSRIs are working on mood, and um, they can help with, like, different things. Sometimes um, people who have, like, fibromyalgia. Um, but p- SNRIs are typically better for pain. Mm-hmm. So just to put into perspective, if I'm treating someone's pain, I don't necessarily need them to be on like high, high doses of an SNRI. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have anxiety and depression, you might need to be on a higher dose. Right. Now, that being said, I can treat you for anxiety and depression and pain, but I don't have to. Mm-hmm. I, I'm more concerned with the nerves that mm-hmm. are inflamed, right? Mm-hmm. And so the nerves that are inflamed... You know, you need something to decrease that inflammation. Right. Um, now, being if you have anxiety or depression and you have like suicidal ideations and something, and you want to be treated for your anxiety and depression, I would happily love to treat. And you know, I want all my patients to tell me about their what's going on mentally too. If they feel depressed, because a lot of them say, you know, I don't. I was never depressed. I was never anxious until I got pelvic pain. And now all I do is think about it. And all I'm constantly in this cycle where I'm I'm anxious, the pain gets worse, I get depressed, and then the pain gets worse. Most people who have chronic pain probably experience that cycle. Yeah. And so, you know, it's not about necessarily saying, it's in your head, your pain is in your head. No, it's not in your head. Because when I went internally, I felt something, Mm -hmm. right? You felt something. There is pain. And we talked about central sensitization, right? Mm-hmm. So your brain thinks something's up. So you have a physical problem and something going on in your brain and spinal cord. So is it in your head? Well, your brain mm-hmm. is your head, right? So there is something, chemical reactions going on. But that's why it's important to just treat the nerves too. Mm-hmm. So the nerves are super inflamed. We treat them. Um, and then we see. I mean, and the goal is get you to a zero out of ten, and then wean you off of anything. Right. Um, so an SNRI, Elevil is that an that's an SSRI? No, Elevil is a tricyclic. And what about like Cymbalta? Cymbalta is an SNRI. Uh huh. So there's basically three forms of medication. Well, there's like four. So like there's SSRIs, which we don't typically use unless we're, we have a patient who's like trying to get pregnant or something because then that's really the only safe option uh-huh. um then there's snris which we use a lot like what are some examples Cymbalta, uh-huh. Savella, uh-huh. those are the typical ones we use uh-huh. and then there's um tricyclics right. which we tend to be very careful with because there are a lot of side effects uh-huh. and um, they are good medication and they can work short term but if if you have them and you're not careful you can get more side effects like yeah. suicidal ideations or something that can be worse. So mm-hmm. we, we tend to have to be really careful about those. Um, but if, if you've, you're being monitored by a psychiatrist then, you know, and you're, you have regular contact with someone, then it, it can be done safely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's membrane stabilizers like gabapentin or Alerica. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, each medication has its own special reason why we use them, but... Generally speaking, 
If patients' insurances are good, we'll try to use ones that are more that are newer and has less side effects. Mm-hmm. And because um, we don't want you to have some like crazy out of pocket cost. Right. If your if your insurance is not as great and you have to have a, use an older medication, we just say let's go slow as mm-hmm. we titrate our, our way up so that we don't have as many side effects. So we just go super slow. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know they they do help. And the goal is just to remember it. Ultimately, we want to get you off of all the meds. Right. You know, if you're using mm-hmm. it for anxiety or depression, that's different. Yeah. But for pain, we're trying to wean you off. And so this is a question that I have whenever I talk to someone about these medications. But it's also just the thought that I, for some reason, can't seem to ever really understand. I take Cymbalta. But I'm also like not a fan of medicine at all. So I don't like the fact that I'm taking it. But just out of like my own curiosity, and I'm sure that a lot of mm-hmm. other people like have these same questions is is this medicine a long term solution? And as you said, it's not, but I feel like it's a like a band-aid, you know, and like it does help. That's the problem. Is that like not and maybe not it's not a problem, it's the opposite of a problem it's a good thing because it does help yeah but it's like is it gonna fix the problem or is it a band-aid and then like when you go off of it yeah is the pain gonna come right back like I went through a period where I went off of everything and I went off of it too quickly and I didn't wean off properly and then the pain came back so I, I went back on a very low dose but then I feel like how do you get off of it? How do you get off of it? And how is it, like, what is it actually doing? And I've, you know, um, Eric Kunkar, the physical therapist, have explained to me, like, some people have explained to me how it really does work and how it, it can stop the pain. But, like, for some reason, I still have this confusion about so, how does it actually control pain and does it prevent pain from coming back or does it just stop it and then it well, will come back? Well, it's, it's different because it's affecting the chemicals in your mind, in, uh-huh. you know, your, your serotonin. Um, and so it's also really hard to say, and I'm really sh- like socially wise, we don't want to go into dosages or right. anything like that. But, um, you know, going off of the medications can have side effects. And that's why you have to be super careful about titrating yourself down. Mm-hmm. Um, so Balta is like infamously known for like, you know, giving side effects when people just go off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to be super careful. And is it a Band-Aid? The, the way I see it, I tell patients, like, it's more about trying to create, relax those nerves. Mm. Now, mm-hmm. if you're super relaxed after and, like, six months down the line, you, you're feeling okay and you're feeling great. But now, if it's working on your mood, going off of it, when you come off of it, you're going to, if you are very anxious and then you have this, like, anxious disposition now, if you go off of it now, what's going to happen? You're going to get anxious again. Mm-hmm. And if you're anxious, anxiety is causing you to clench your pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Then your pelvic floor pain is going to come back. Right. And so if you work on non-medication, medical ways to, to treat your anxiety, like acupuncture or um, deep breathing mm-hmm. or, you know, meditation or, you know, finding d- things that you can keep yourself busy with that you know or like coloring or something so like when you are anxious you instead of running to like um your your mind starts running into these thoughts that are like oh you know this and I'm super stressed out and then you start clenching everything and you, instead you're like okay when I'm anxious I'm going to pick up this coloring book and I'm going to color or I'm going to run over to church and I'm going to pray or I'm going to go to um you know I'm going to sing and you mm-hmm. know I'm going to do something and every time you go and do that instead of necessarily like being super tight you're not going to get super tight and you're not going to necessarily need it now it's hard to say like though because mm-hmm. like life is really like it's complicated and yeah. it's it's hard to be like you know i'm just gonna relax and i'm not gonna need medications and but if you're taking it for pain and let's say there's no anxiety or depression or any right. of that in there and you know technically you should be able to go off of it once you have zero pain, mm-hmm. we start to wean patients down, and then they never need it again. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have plenty of those patients also mm-hmm. that have like a short-term amount of pain that may have been from their hip or a hernia, and we're just trying to treat their pain. So it's not necessarily like 
treating their anxiety or depression. Right. And usually you will have patients stay on the medicine until they're at well, a we, zero pain yeah, level. Uh, yeah, we want to get you down to zero. Now, at the end of the day, it's your body. Not, right. I never force anyone to take a medication they don't want. And that if a patient has any side effects that they don't like, I always say, you know, give it at least a week. If mm-hmm. you can't tolerate it, that's fine. Mm-hmm. We can try a different medication, and we do different alternatives. Um, and we'll also... Um, give other options. So there's like CBD, mm-hmm. there's also medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are, you know, they also come with some positives and negatives too, right? right. Sometimes people feel like they don't want to be high. Right. And, you know, and sometimes people don't let, they feel nauseous. And so everything kind of comes with a side effect also. So yeah. it's kind of like risk, you know, you have to like kind of think about it and see what risk versus benefits or mm-hmm. pros or cons. And what's the, like, how long do you do you usually have patients on these medicines? So we tell patients that the minimum six months because mm-hmm. this is like a, a, a commitment to yeah. decreasing that central sensitization and um, at least a minimum of six months. Now, that being said, if a patient's only on it for a week, they can kind of go off of it in a yeah. week. Um, but about six months, and then we see where they're at. Sometimes people like the way they feel on it, and they, wanna, they don't want to go off of it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, do patients stay on it for one year, two years, three years? Like, what what would you say is like the maximum amount of time that you would want a patient on it so that they can and it's wean just off for of it? Pain? Yeah, just for pain. Um, if it's just for pain, I would say wait till they're like zero. If they're at yeah. zero, then at that point. I mean, most of my patients just go off of it. I've yeah. never really had anyone who didn't want it for something else. And then the other thing that I wanted to talk about is the injections. Mm-hmm. So you guys do injections here as well? Yeah. So we do injections because for three reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always tell patients to think about your pelvis like a bowl of spaghetti. Mm-hmm. So in a bowl of spaghetti, it's just spaghetti, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine if there's like no pasta sauce. And so... One spaghetti is a nerve, and one spaghetti is an artery, and one spaghetti is a vein. And so nerve, arteries, and veins always travel together throughout your entire body. There's always, it's called NAV, like it's a, that's how like the mnemonic for memorizing it, NAV. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all, they all travel in bundles. And so when a nerve, artery, and vein are together, that's how we know where we are when we do our, our injections, because we see the, the artery, which is red, and the vein, which is blue, light up on our ultrasound. Mm-hmm. So when we see them lighting up, we know, okay, then there's a nerve there. Right. So we're basically, so if your spaghetti's all mushed together and it's just nerves, arteries, and veins, and there's no pasta sauce in there. So if you put in pasta sauce, what happens? They try, they start to separate, and the mm-hmm. nerves and arteries kind of have space now. So when your muscles are so tight and they're squeezing on these nerves, it's not able to conduct that electricity through your body, mm-hmm. through your pelvis that you need. And the are red and the blue, the arteries and the veins, they can't oxygenate each other that, that you need for blood circulation. Mm-hmm. So if you like bend your wrist like and when you're typing and then all of a sudden your, t- your fingers are numbness and tingling and you straighten it up, the conduction's better, right? Mm-hmm. So now, now you, can, you don't have that numbness and tingling. It's the same thing with your pelvis, but a little less like dramatic you feel like those are nerves that are squeezed and they're entangled and the muscles are now, instead of being nice and smooth, they're like kind of creating all these knots in your pelvic floor. Right. Which you may feel when you're getting PT mm-hmm. um, and using a wand or anything at home. Um, so basically we're trying to create space in between those muscles mm-hmm. and allowing those nerves to kind of start conducting the arteries and veins to improve their blood flow. And, you know, by creating um, exposure to the lidocaine, that decreases the inflammation around the nerves also. Mm-hmm. So every time we do an injection, we're using an anti-inflammatory, like I said, mm-hmm. that Arnica, the Tremiel, it's a liquid version of Arnica, and lidocaine. Mm-hmm. And we're literally injecting space into your pelvis. Um, we're also doing a trigger point injection, so mm-hmm. that decreases the muscle tension. So if you had a uh, if you've ever had acupuncture and you get a trigger point and they kind of needle it a little bit and you find a, you feel a twitch, that's the same twitch you feel in your pelvic floor. And mm-hmm. you may not be so exaggerated because the muscles are much smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're decreasing mus- muscle tension, increasing the blood flow, 
and um, we're, sh- we're, we're exposing those nerves to the lidocaine. Do the injections hurt? It doesn't hurt any more than necessarily getting a flu shot. Mm-hmm. We use a very tiny needle. So I don't know if you know anything about gauges, but the higher the number it is, the smaller, the, the thinner the needle is. Mm-hmm. So we use a 27 gauge, which is tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, that shouldn't hurt that much, but obviously it is a, you know, a sensitive area. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's an injection. Yeah. If I get a flu shot, I'm like, eh, it hurts. Right. Um, but we don't go in internally. So we don't go intravaginally. Mm-hmm. We don't go intrarectally. Everything is only through muscles. Because we um, are... Wait, so you don't put the injections inside of your vagina? They're not inside your vagina. Where do you do them? They're to the side of your vagina. Uh They're going directly to the pelvic floor, but through the side. So we get your pelvic floor because we know muscles, right? So that's our thing, muscles, nerves, and bones. So when we use the ultrasound machine, we can see where the muscles are, I mean, and the bones are. Based on that, we can find it. So we go straight through muscle. Uh Um, Yeah, so we don't go, it's like a lot of GYNs are trained to do this intravaginally. Mm -hmm. But since, well, one, we're not GYNs, we never learned how to do that. And two, it hurts way more if you do that. So we try to do um, intra, through the muscle. And the results are the same. Mm-hmm. It's the same pelvic floor muscles. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, we use a little bit of cold spray. If someone's really, really anxious about it, we might give them, them like an oral Valium for a day just to mm-hmm. kind of calm them down. Um, but usually our patients, just to put into perspective, they go home right after or they go to work right after. Mm-hmm. Um, they sit on some ice and they, they're out. It's like a... 20 minute thing they come in we prep them do the injection and sit on some ice and they're out the door and how long do does like a patient typically feel relief after the injection like is it right away or does it take time to feel any better because we're using lidocaine lidocaine is a numbing agent it's the same thing that a dentist uses to numb your teeth right so for the same amount of time you're going to feel numb mm-hmm. now if you have a lot of pain in that area and now it's numb you are going to feel great yeah but what we're trying to do and then you you from the trigger point injection you'll feel a little bit of the spastic a relief in that spasm mm-hmm. um, and that's pretty instantaneous but the thing that we're trying to do is create space right mm-hmm. and, and improve blood flow so it's like kind of like watering a plant. If you get a if you water a plant today, you're not going to get a flower tomorrow. Right. So we need time for that flower to grow and your pelvic floor to relax, and that takes time. Mm-hmm. And then that circulation. So we require every patient do physical therapy and um, yoga mm-hmm. and meditation within that week mm-hmm. because we want that blood to be flowing. Right. So if you spend all day long sitting, lying down, and in pain in your bed. And you're not able to like do something that gets that blood flowing. Yeah. Well, I could do all the injections I want, but that blood's just gonna sit yeah. there stagnant. And so we really require that people do that. So unless they're not, if they're not willing to do the whole package, it's a little, it's hard. I, it's hard to promise anything. Yeah, and to treat that patient. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any side effects or like downsides um, with that come with the injections? So we always tell patients with any injection, whether it's a flu shot or not, you have, there's always a risk of bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, we use a 27 gauge, so there's not a lot of bleeding. Mm-hmm. It's usually just a tiny prick, if that. You, most people, we don't even, like, I've never put, I think I've put a Band-Aid on one person ever, yeah. because it's, there's no bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always a risk of um, infection, but mm-hmm. we pride ourselves on our, our low or zero infection rate, yeah. um, because we make we tell patients on the day of injections we don't want them to work out we don't we don't want the area sweaty we want no baths we don't mm-hmm. want you know we want to keep that area clean and no intercourse just we're kind of a little bit um overkill but why not we don't want infections yeah. and so nice stay nice and clean you go back to normal the next day mm-hmm. um and i mean if you're doing some light yoga i'm pretty sure you're not going to get like all hot and sweaty down there but right. just in case like you know just keep the area clean mm-hmm. and just to like recap quickly so the point of these injections is really to help the nerves or the muscles relax which helps with the nerve pain yeah so the, the nerves are now able to like regenerate right and then create that space and that more blood need. flows as you said improve circulation mm-hmm. yeah um and most people respond well to the injections yeah or does it like depend completely on the patient 
I mean, if a patient came in and they were like, oh, I have never done PT before, I've never done anything before, the first thing we do is say, go to PT. Right. Come back in a few months and then we'll see where you're at. Because, you know, you know, if a patient comes in and they're like, I've never done PT before, but they have like really amazing insurance and they're not going to have to pay any out-of-pocket costs, mm-hmm. then it's like a no-brainer. Right. Just do the PT Start with what I'm saying. No, you've physically gone to the PT. Come in, come back in like two weeks and mm-hmm. start the injections mm-hmm. because you might get from like an eight out of ten to like a four out of ten with just PT in like the first month. Yeah. But if you do it with injections, you're gonna get a better chances to get down to like a two. Like I think I remember I sent care a patient once, and this guy didn't even do nerve blocks, and Kara had sent them so early to me like like I think within a week or two or maybe a month of, of seeing her and I started injections and like after like three weeks he had no pain and I was like all from the injections all from the inject. I mean he was getting PT too uh-huh. and I was like Kara we did this without nerve meds like this yeah. is freaking amazing and I was like like, yeah, that's like really... he had no other symptoms. They were, all of his pain was gone. His urinary, I think he had like one urinary symptom that he would wake up once at night and it had gotten better. And, and at that time, but he had a hernia. Uh-huh. And for him, it was like, okay, well, go get the hernia. Right. That was like a, that was like the one thing yeah. that was like not perfect. Just, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, interesting. It, it really, really it does, depends on the yeah. person. And some people, I'm like, you know, the injections really help. You know, it, it kills me if, like, their insurance is not that wonderful. So mm-hmm. I'm always trying to tell patients, like, you know, do everything you can. First. First. Yeah. Because, but if your insurance isn't going to cover it, it's, like, kind of like a no-brainer. Yeah. Like, why not do things faster? I had, the other day I had a patient who came in and he'd only had pelvic pain for two weeks. And I was, like, shocked. Like, how are you here so soon? I've never heard of that in my life. I was like, how did he, why did he come here so like, quickly? Oh, you treat my girlfriend. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this makes so much sense. Yeah, that makes now. sense. That's so funny. And I was like, I, I forgot what, I, I was like, oh my God, you guys are so cute. <laughs> He's like, she said that you were going to say that. And I was like, and I was like, do you want to be aggressive? Like, what, I mean, it's been two weeks. What do you want to do? And he was like, um, I want to do everything. And I was like, everything? He was like, I want to do everything. I want to do everything. So So we started treating him right away. Uh And like, uh, and I think actually Kara's already seen him. Uh Or someone over there has seen him. Um, But yeah, he's doing really, it's only been a couple weeks and he's already making improvements. And (laughs) But like, I feel like that's, back to what we said at the beginning, that's the way it should be. Like you should have pelvic pain for, for like two weeks and then address it. You know what I mean? Like. But he only addressed it because he was dealing with his girlfriend and right. having it for, like, six months. Right. And it became, like, an issue for them, mm-hmm. like, intimately. Yeah. So it, he, when it became a bigger issue for him, mm-hmm. he was like, okay, I don't want this. This sucks. Yeah. So he was like, I need to, like... Take care I'm of just, it. And he, like, listened to his girlfriend. And, like, during the whole exam, he was, like, laughing because he knew what I was going to say. That's like, so funny. And he was like, oh, I already knew that. And I already <laughs> knew that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, sometimes you get a patient really early, and sometimes you get a patient really late. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, if there's one tip that you have for the audience to take away, what would it be? Um, I would say listen to your body, mm-hmm. and you know your body well, and you know what could be causing something and if you feel like something's not right you have to address it and try to find someone who knows what the heck's going on mm-hmm. and if you find and you go to your doctor and you're like hey doc I have this xyz um, I had a patient who had persistent genital arousal disorder but she didn't know she did because until she had had it for four years and she mm-hmm. didn't know that being like aroused in her clitoris every single day all the time was not normal Mm -hmm. and I was like how did you not realize this was she was like I just thought I was hypersexual Mm. and I was like you just like she's like yeah and then it wasn't until she saw it on a Facebook group that someone wrote anonymously that oh I feel aroused all the time and when I masturbate it doesn't go away or it Mm -hmm. goes away and she was like 
I realized that all, when all the other women were commenting and they're like, I want that, I want that, I, and like it was a joke. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I realized that, that that that's not normal. Right. And she was like, I would go to the bathroom every day and masturbate, like every single day. And my husband had no idea. Mm-hmm. And she was just like hiding this, yeah. this thing. And, and it's like, she had only told her primary care doctor mm-hmm. and kind of was like a little dismissed and never, like if you feel like you're, something's not right tell as many people who will listen yeah just like keep talking until you find someone because also odds are like you know your body and you know that if something's wrong something's definitely wrong yeah even if you know one doctor tells you nothing's wrong or you're gonna meet like four doctors in that process who are gonna say oh well i checked your i checked your bladder you don't have ic you're gonna find another one who's gonna say i checked your I checked your colon. The colonoscopy was clean. No ulcers. But eventually, you might find someone who knows what pelvic floor dysfunction is. Yeah. Or, um, and I mean, chances are, if you're listening to this, you probably do know someone right. um, or a doctor that can help you. But honestly, there's so many resources out there between the pelvic floor dysfunction group on Facebook, the pelvic health support group on Facebook, mm-hmm. um, endometriosis. Um, Nancy Snook of for endometriosis education on in, on Facebook. There's so many hashtags on Instagram. You can hashtag endometriosis, endowarriors. There's International Pelvic Pain Society. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a website. You can type in like your zip code and find a doctor. Yeah. Um, you can call me. I will do tell you for free. Mm-hmm. Like I will try to find you someone. Um, you can find pelvic physical therapists on the physical therapy website, APTA. Mm-hmm. There's just so many resources, so like, You shouldn't be, like, suffering in public pain forever. Definitely not. Um, And so my tip actually relates closely to your tip, and it's something that we talked about briefly in the beginning. But I really just want to quickly talk about how important it is to find a doctor that you get along well with, that you feel comfortable with, that, you know, you're able to go in and see them and really express yourself, communicate how you're feeling, what you're thinking, what is going on, and that you can just have a good relationship with because if you don't, it's going to be so much harder to communicate. It's going to be so much harder for them to help you and in turn for you to heal and for your treatment plan to be a successful one because if you really don't get along with your doctor, you don't agree with how they would want to treat you, then it's just going to be tough. So the best advice that I could give I think for this episode is to find a doctor that you connect with and this will make your healing journey all the more easier yeah totally agree yeah um okay now where can everyone find you on social media if they wanted to make an appointment with you um Um, you can follow me on instagram at dr t-a-y ahmed a-h-m-e-d on instagram um, I am not so active on Twitter, but I'm also at Dr. Tai Ahmed on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I am at Pelvic Rehabilitation Medicine. Our website is pelvicrehabilitation.com. And we, I'm here every day. In New so York City. In New York City, in Midtown. We are a block away from Grand Central Station, so we are super accessible by train um, on near in like the heart of midtown manhattan so we we picked a location that we was would be hopefully close for people in long island and connecticut and jersey Mm -hmm. and i mean patients i mean i have i have one patient who came from the cayman islands to be treated i mean we see people from india here um london like everywhere people can't we have a ton of patients from canada i mean uh, tennessee and oklahoma i have one patient Virginia so a lot of people come out to see us because we look at it from like this we step back and we're not like in a microscope lens mm-hmm. and we're trying to figure it out from from afar and not necessarily so if you kind of feel hopeless and you think that we can help you give us a call and we'll let you know if we can awesome thank you so much for doing this today no, I really no appreciate it And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. If you do so, you will get automatic notifications on your phone when new episodes are uploaded. 
and also share this with your friends, your family. Please leave as many comments as you want to. What happens when you leave comments is it actually boosts the rating of this podcast, so it will appear higher in the iTunes store. That will allow more people to see it, more people to listen, and the word to be spread faster. So please, please, please do as much as you can to help with getting this podcast out there and stay tuned for the next episode.